1: Extra
2: Time! Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time, I'm Stephen Houston. Well, Super Rugby's kicked off with wins for the Highlanders over the Blues, the Crusaders beat the Chiefs, while the Hurricanes were upended by the South African side, the Bulls. We're joined by rugby reporter Joe Porter to get his thoughts on those results and to look ahead to this weekend's round of matches. Joe, I suppose undoubtedly the biggest surprise in that opening round was the Hurricanes' loss in South Africa. What? does that suggest for the, the season ahead for them?
1: Well, in previous years, I would have worried that it may have set the tone for the hurricane season to come. You know, if you can't get up for the first game of the year after a really good preseason season from the Hurricanes to beat the Bulls, who aren't the strongest South African side in the first game, I would be worried. But not this year. I think there are a better team a better environment, a better culture under the current coaches and I think it'll just be the kick up the bum they need to maybe crack on with things They prepared, according to them, incredibly well for that game and for some reason just left it all at the door when they went into the park Perhaps they were a little underdone at altitude some of the pre-season had taken a toll, not sure. I think the best thing for them to do is to park it. They've got the Barrett brothers back this weekend, a big boost for the side. Starting Geordie starting for the first time in six months and Bowden back in the starting first five spots. So I think they'll just look to forget about it and re- put in a good performance against the Jaguars this weekend, give them a pasting and get themselves back on a winning note.
2: Could be a, a bit of a banana skin game for them again though, couldn't it?
1: Well, absolutely. The, the Jaguars have you know, had a tough trip to South Africa. They're back home. It's their first home game of the season under a new coach, so they'll be fairly desperate and passionate about trying to prove to their home crowd that they can match it with you know super rugby front runners like the Hurricanes. Again, the travel was always a factor when you've gone from South Africa to Buenos Aires. It feels like you've been in the air forever, and, and a few guys coming back like Bowden Barrett and, and Jordy Barrett into the starting side for the first time this year. So there's certainly a, a chance of a, of a hiccup, and perhaps some of those legs are tired after running around in Pretoria at altitude, but... Uh, if you can't beat the Jaguars and, and you want to win the Super Rugby title, I think you've <laughs> got to look over your shoulder and worry.
2: The Blues, um, well, while they lost to the Highlanders, um, do you see signs that, that this might be a different season though though for them, given the troubles of the, the past several years?
1: I think you're right. There's tentative hope there, I suppose, among Blues fans. They certainly looked a much more cohesive unit against the Highlanders. A yellow card really didn't do them any favours in that game. Um, they're playing against the Chiefs side this weekend who have got 15 players unavailable from their squad, absolutely injury-ravaged, and guys like Damien McKenzie playing at first five for the first season, trying to find his feet there again. So I think the Blues will get up for this one at Eden Park, the second local derby they've had in a row. They looked the better of the two teams, I thought, um, of the losers last week, the Chiefs and the, and the Blues, and I, I think with yeah the Chiefs' injuries, they're... A sort of adjustments they're having to make I think the Blues should get up for this one I do think it should be a better season for them however I, I get the feeling and it has only been a week into the season that the Chiefs and the Blues might battle it out for the wooden spoon in the New Zealand Conference
2: Blues, I suppose will be looking for this they haven't had a, a local derby win for quite some time have they?
1: No, it's incredible. I saw that stat this morning. I couldn't believe it. They've lost their last twelve matches dating back to twenty sixteen against other New Zealand opposition. So certainly history suggests they'll struggle tonight. They've also gone un well winless against the Chiefs in their last twelve matches dating back to twenty eleven. There was one draw in there. So the Chiefs have won eleven and drawn one against the Blues in their last twelve matches, which is quite incredible. I think that record might, well, that that streak might be broken tonight.
2: Uh, Crusaders, the the defending champs. I mean, they they. Well, have they picked up from where they simply left off last season?
1: It it would appear so. Again, you know, a a fairly clinical performance to get their first up win at home, what they need to do. Uh, Coach Scott Robinson is fairly confident. They haven't changed a hell of a lot about the way they play. They look pretty much the same side as last year, maybe just with a bit of experience under the belt. They've got the target on their heads of being the defending champions, but I think they'll deal with that kind of pressure fairly well because Robertson's probably been a defending champ a bucket load of times himself. So I think... They're looking pretty good, and yeah, even after the first week, you'd have to say they are still the favourites to win the competition.
2: And uh, who who have they got this week?
1: They have got the Stormers in Christchurch tomorrow night, so the Stormers have obviously had to come over from Africa, and it could be a tough ask for them to get up against a a red-hot home favourite side who have won back the support of their fans. It'll be a pretty full house.
2: And big news this week for um, Black Ferns, the the, uh, women's rugby side. Um, Some contracts in the offing for them.
1: Yes, uh, New Zealand Rugby had their sort of announced their annual uh, financial result for the year yesterday, and a good profit for them. But the biggest news was really that they're now looking to create professionalised, centralised contracts for the New Zealand women's rugby team, the professional players. New Zealand, the Black Ferns, of course, being the top of the list. The Black Ferns won their fifth World Cup last year, and that's kind of prompted it they've had a great success the new zealand sevens team are defending world series champions they are the irb women's player of the year so certainly a, a great year last year for women's rugby in new zealand and that's you know finally being reflected by the nzr and they're going to be getting paid i guess finally for the first time get some pre- professional contracts still a little way off that yet but the nzr have entered negotiations or discussions with the players association to nut out how that will work so hopefully we'll get the Black friends paid for the first time
2: Any indication on how that that might look? Is it simply at Black Ferns level?
1: Yeah, it's very, very early days, but the indications are there will be an X amount of centralised contracts which will be taken up by a larger or extended Black Ferns squad. There will be some 7s contracts as well, so separate 7s and 15s, or there may be players that they choose just to select a group of 30 or 40-odd between the 7s and the Black Ferns to contract. And unfortunately, it looks like if you fall outside of that, you'll probably still be left to the same devices as you were before. It's almost like a New Zealand cricket model, slightly different than the men's side of things with the NZR because, of course, you don't have the super rugby franchises to, you know, provide a large bulk of, of, of money to the players.
2: Yeah. Um, time frame? Any, any indication around that?
1: Not yet. Steve Chu, the CEO of New Zealand Rugby yesterday, said n- nothing for the next month or so. So I, I don't know, it, m- it might be paid a check-in in a-, in a month or two's time, perhaps after the Com Games.
2: That's Joe Porter, our Rugby Porter. Thank you for your time. Right, well the Black Caps head into the third one-day cricket international against England and Wellington on Saturday with the five-match series level at one all. Welcome back skipper Kane-Williams, who sent out Wednesday's loss in Mount Maunganui with a hamstring strain, while Ross Taylor's been cleared to play, despite not fielding in the last match due to a quad strain. Taylor's on the verge of becoming New Zealand's second-highest one-day run scorer. He's already scored more ODI centuries than any other New Zealand player with 18, and he's scored 7,086 runs in total, and needs just four more to overtake Nathan Astle in second spot. The former Black Caps captain Stephen Fleming sits at the top of the list on 8007. But as the cricket milestones mount for Luturu Ross Potoa Lottie taylor the player himself wants the sport to promote him as a role model to attract more Pacific Islanders to the game. Te Aniwa Hurianga Nui reports.
3: Ross Taylor with 290 has made the highest score ever against Australia... In Australia, an array of strokes, tremendous show of willpower and self belief.
4: The formidable Lutero Ross Pultuolote Taylor, the... Taylor to known to most Arthur as Ross Taylor, Taylor, has an impressive international cricket team record. Team He's the only black cap to have scored 290 runs in an away game against Australia and is one of only three New Zealanders with 17 test centuries under his belt. He is undeniably the most successful Pacific Islander to reach the international cricket scene. But Ross Taylor says he grew up knowing it was never the norm for island kids to play cricket.
2: You know, they are very physical people, you know, big and, you know, are exposed to rugby. I think once they are exposed to cricket, you know, the more players parents who are exposed to cricket as a sport and they might be able to push that onto their kids as well.
4: Ross Taylor says his Samoan heritage should be promoted more so that Pacific Island kids know they have every potential of becoming international cricket stars.
2: There's not a lot of players that have played to be role models. I think that New Zealand cricket probably needs to use me in a promotional form getting into the schools, uh, promoting it. Myself being a Samoan ethnicity, and you know there's actually a lot of kids who think I'm Maori and, and not um, Samoan, so I still get that quite often when I'm doing autographs. after again,
4: Murphy Sua was the first Pacific Islander to make the New Zealand Blackcaps team in 1992. He's now on the Auckland Cricket Board and is committed to improving the diversity in New Zealand cricket. He says Pacific Island kids are showing huge potential in the sport, but lack the funding support to keep them in the game.
2: A lot of Pacific Island boys, you know, there's a guy who teaches out at State and these two boys there, he said, are amazing cricketers, but they've been offered scholarships already for rugby. You know, so we have a real challenge even at that stage to retain and keep kids in the game.
4: He says a lack of diversity in cricket can be seen at all levels, including at the very top.
2: I've been to a couple of the AGMs and I was the only non-white person there, for example. But there's a lot of middle-aged white people driving and running cricket. So do they really understand how to get non-white people involved in cricket?
4: New Zealand Head of Community Cricket Adrian Dales says Māori and Pacifica only make up around 5% of the grassroots cricket population. He says cricket needs to be promoted at schools where it's not a popular sporting choice.
2: Well I think we need to get cricket into um, to more schools, uh, uh, to sort of the more non-traditional schools. You know I think what, what has happened over time is that cricket has become more and more the domain of sort of traditional schools.
4: He says Pacifica people have a natural propensity towards sport and have every ounce of potential to become the next Ross Taylor.
2: The Aniwa Horianga Nui reporting. Winter Olympic bronze medalists, freestyle skier Nico Porteous and snowboarder Zoe Sadowski, Senate arrived back in the country earlier this week to a hero's welcome. The 16-year-olds ended the 26-year medal drought for New Zealand at the Winter Olympics. New Zealand's only previous success at the Winter Games came at Alberville in France in nineteen ninety-two when Alpine Skier Annalise Koberger won a silver medal. Ravinda Hunia caught up with the pair.
5: It's pretty weird. It didn't really hit me at first. Like when when it happened straight after the event, it was just kinda like kinda emptiness just because I'd imagined it for so long and I guess I'd used all those feelings up. And then once once I received my medal later that night on stage, I was like, holy it's just so heavy and I guess that just makes it so much more intense I didn't even expect to be given flag bearer like I thought it was for the veterans it's really cool to be given that that role because I know the flag bearer kind of represents the whole of New Zealand so that was really special and I don't really think age comes into it that much I think you know anyone can do it what
4: do you think school life is going to be like when you make your return
5: Um, Hopefully not too um, different because, you know, I I enjoy school and I don't want it to get too hectic. I can't wait to go see my friends and uh, see everyone who's supported me and show them the medal because that's what's come out of all the support. But I do need to get back to school and get some work done because I haven't done any yet. We are always looking ahead but haven't quite um, put any plans in yet. Uh, Hopefully I'll be there in four years if everything goes well. Talk to us through the motions of that day, from when you woke up
0: till you knew you yeah. had that medal. I had a horrible morning. I was vomiting because of nerves, and I was really feeling the pressure. But you know, I couldn't. I, you know, you can't control it. And, and if you, for me, if I don't have nerves, something's wrong. So yeah, I just, I just dealt with it and, and just got on with it and on with it and on with it. And when Zoe managed to, to bring home the medals for the team? Yeah, oh, it's such a big relief. You know, we had close calls with Carlos Garcia Knight almost getting a medal, and then Bo James Wells coming finishing in fourth behind me. Like, he did an insane run. And that half-bite final was just incredible. The, the level of competition in both my comp and Zoe's comp is, is at an all-time high right now, and it's, yeah, I'm so stoked to be a part of it. Competition isn't all our sport, and a big part of, you know, like, you can't do a sport if you don't love it. And so, of course, I'm just going to go and ski for myself. And for me, competing isn't everything. You know, I really enjoy just skiing, and that, you know that's why I'm a freestyle skier. And competition-wise,
4: where to from here for you?
0: I'm not sure. I haven't really decided yet. I'm going to let this this whole thing sink in. And I'm going to keep competing, like, for sure. It's just what comps I'm going to do to finish out the season.
4: And are you looking ahead to Beijing yet?
0: No. Too far away. <laughs> you can't be looking that far ahead. You can only live... You know, I know, you can't think that far ahead, otherwise it's just yeah, so out of your reach that you can't control it.
2: Ravinda Hunia talking to Zoe Sadowski-Sinnett and Nico Porteous. The Wellington cyclist Kate McElroy believes her previous experience in other sports played a part in her selection for the Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast at the end of the month. McElroy's part of a 33-strong cycling team, that's the biggest ever selected for Commonwealth Games, This will be the 36-year-old's third Commonwealth Games, with each of them having been in different sports. She was fifth in the 3,000-metre steeplechase at Melbourne in 2006, 12th in the triathlon at Glasgow, and she'll race in the women's road race on the Gold Coast. She also competed at the 2012 Olympics in London in triathlon. She told Barry Guy that 18 months ago she began working full-time after another serious injury.
3: I could never have planned my career the way it's gone. I grew up as a runner and that that was, you know, I was passionate about running and to me that was what I was going to be. I was going to go to the Olympics for for running and, you know, it it obviously all changed when I sustained an injury to my Achilles and, you know, I was determined to get to the Olympics. It was just this driving force that I, I had to get there and I decided to give it one more shot, which was with triathlon. I'd always wanted to do it and I just knew that I'd probably regret it if I didn't give it a go at the time and I sort of made... You know, productive like, if I didn't make it within the first six months and make some a living out of it as well, then I was going to call it quits and stop being a sportswoman and go into the corporate world. But it, you know, remarkably, it worked. And, you know, Triathlon New Zealand put me up quite quickly early on on my change. And that helped propel me to become a a, a world class triathlete, basically. And then, you know, the switch to cycling again, that wasn't. It wasn't planned. I was never like oh, I'm going to switch to cycling and try and get to the Commonwealth Games. You know, my triathlon career came crashing down quite quickly when I fell off my mountain bike and that was what ended it. But I then realised I needed to get a, a job. Not been not in sport, which is when I started working at zero, but I, I missed competing and I missed training. And just for my own sanity, like I still love You know, when you've trained for 30, 35 hours a week for the last 10 years of your life, it's hard to switch that off and cycling still gave me that, I suppose, that freedom and enjoyment, and I just went from there and started racing, and it went better than expected, and I thought, well, I might as well give it a go. So here I am.
2: Fingers crossed that there's no more injuries or anything, but uh, cycling's (laughs) going to be it for a while. You're not now then going to head into something (laughs) else, you know? There's plenty of other sports there, aren't there? Yeah.
3: Yeah, no, look, I think that's probably it for a while. It keeps, you know, I think part of the reason I've managed to get the results that I have is I've, I've been able to train consistent consistently. I've had no interruptions um, sort of touch wood but um, it's a lot easier on my body and you know it's the one thing I always lacked back in my running and try days was the consistency is the, the running I'd get injured from running so I'd have a whole lot of interruptions in my training so it was really hard to get the improvements as quickly as I wanted. You know we learned through time we learned other ways of supplementing my run training which was on the bike and that how, sort of by default cycling became one of my did become my best discipline in triathlon. So then the switch over to just being a pure cyclist. Obviously I had a lot to learn in terms of racing and the tactics and also obviously becoming stronger on the bike once you take out the running and swimming. But yeah and learned and I learnt to love it. Like I absolutely love just purely just riding my bike.
2: Kate McElroy talking to Barry Guy. That brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, email us at sport at radioNZ.co.nz and follow us on Twitter at RNZSport. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Houston. Bye for now.